Hey, good morning, everyone. Inspire Church. Oh, hey, 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 hey. Hey, I, I just want to say, uh, I was listening to Pastor Aaron's prayer, and I didn't quite understand it, but he said something about, you know, whether this is God's team or not. I want to make it very clear that I do not think the 49ers are God's team. Uh, I want to make that very clear. I also want to make it equally clear that I don't believe the Chiefs are God's team either. Um, that's reserved for the Denver Broncos. And so anyway, that is God's team today. We're glad you're here. We're going to have some fun with the lights today because anytime they don't like something I say, it just goes down. And so I have no control over what's happening today. We're, we're glad you're here. I do want to thank uh, Curtis Mitchell for loaning my wife and I our San Francisco 49er jerseys. I figured it was time that we retire the LA jersey until they make it back to the Super Bowl. So um, anyway, that could be a few years, um, but I do want to thank Curtis for loaning us his shirts. And, you know, I was telling him I probably shouldn't wear this either because one of the worst Bronco losses in, and in Super Bowl history was in 1989-90 to the, for the, to the 49ers, 55 to 10. We lost 55 to 10. I don't wish that on my worst enemy today. I don't wish that on you Chiefs fans. I don't want you to lose by 45 points. I just want you to lose by one. That's all. That's just, just, just one. Um, I'm just kidding. Hey, if you're new to us today, we have fun in church because we believe that God is a reason to celebrate, and uh, that's the reason that we're here. It's not because of football. Football is just one of those things. Uh, before I kind of move into the message today, I do want to invite you back next week. We're starting a new series called Move. It's a six-week series. Uh, you know me. If I've been uh, your pastor nearly nine years, you don't hear these words from my mouth very often. I don't try to hype things up, but I really believe this next series is going to be a monument series for our church, for us as people. Um, I think it, I'm just, I'm really excited about the next series as we head up to Easter. And if you can be here at all during these next six weeks, whether this is your first time here or whether you've been here a thousand times, I hope you can be here for our MOVE series because I believe it's really, really important to the life of our church and to our individual lives as well. Today is kind of a standalone message uh, talking about faith, family, friends, and football. Uh, football is, uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. 53% of Americans now call football the national pastime. Um, it surpassed all of the sports, kind of a big deal. Nine out of 10 people uh, uh, believe in God. 56% uh, of Americans believe in the God of the Bible. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of faith, a lot of things to be shared, shared about today, but we are talking about things in the order of importance, and it's, it's not football. Uh, that being said, I, I'm a big Kansas Jayhawk basketball fan. You guys know that. Um, but we took it on the chin uh, to our K-State Wildcats uh, this last week. And now we figure out who's for who. Um, but I can't help but acknowledge uh, when one of our own, uh, Tyler Adams, uh, one of the managers of the team, he was, made, uh, he was on ESPN. Uh, we got to see him yelling, getting all excited. I'm proud of our, our students that are there. So we're proud of uh, Tyler that he represents us well at Kansas State University. And even though I'm a big Jayhawk fan, you can't well, help but like Coach Tang. About the importance of this night for your group. Well, winning home games is so important in the Big 12. And uh, we gave one away uh, earlier in the week, and our fans showed up for us. And uh, but Scott, first of all, I got to give all honor and glory to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, man. I got the crazy faith on. 
So we can't help, it's, it's, about, the, it's about the Lord today. That's why, that's why we're here. That's why I can put a K-State you know, guy up here. Um, that's why we can joke around about the Chiefs and the Broncos and all that stuff and the 49ers. Because at the end of the day, what matters is not who wins, um, although I know some of you disagree with that today. Uh, what, what matters is victory that we have in Christ. That's the most important victory that we can have today is the victory that we have in him. But you just have to know this about me. Um, many of you know this, that these four F's are a big part of my life. Faith, family, friends, and football. It's in large part because of the way I was raised. And you can blame uh, my parents for that. It's good to have my father-in-law here in the second service. Uh, Ron drove up this morning. He's rooting for the Chiefs. I don't know what he'd done. He was from Michigan. If Detroit would have won, that would have put you in a pickle um, last week. So what, who, who would you have rooted for? He would have rooted for the Chiefs. That's the right answer probably here in this place. Uh, but my parents, um, a, a big reason, if you want to blame anybody for the person that I am, you can blame my mom and my dad. Uh, I ended up doing this to him first service. And I'm going to do it to him second service again. Um, I'm going to ask my mom and dad, who I've never done this to them before in my 25 years of ministry. Um, I'm going to ask them to come up, use the handrail. This will give you a little bit of into our faith, family, and football. Uh, Sunday, um, I want them to use the rail because my thank you, Pastor Aaron. My dad's 84. My mom won't tell you how old she is. And so um, anyway, I'm, I, uh, I've done enough things in my life to embarrass them. Uh, so I want, <laughs> this being one of them, um, but I, I really do. I want to honor my, my family. I want to honor my parents. And I'm blessed to have great in-laws, uh, Ron and Mary. Uh, I would appreciate your prayers for Heather's mother, Mary. She's battling cancer for the third time. And so we're praying for her and thank you for your prayers for her. Um, but my dad and mom have a lot to do with who I am. I can just tell you, my child care in the summer growing up was them taking me to 7-Eleven to get a healthy Slurpee and dropping me off at the University of Northern Colorado to watch the Denver Broncos training camp and get as many autographs as I had. It was cheap childcare. Back in the day, you could just drop your kids off, do whatever they wanted. She's denying it, but this is my story and I'm sticking to it. So uh, uh, let me just say a couple things about my mom. First of all, she taught me about priorities and that faith and family is way more important than football or anything else. Um, I remember times, I didn't share this in the first service, but I remember times walking down in 14th Street in Greeley, Colorado, my mom not knowing, and her knees bent on the floor at that little chair praying for us and her family. I'm thankful for a praying mom that prayed for us, but I'm also thankful that a mom that kept us in check. So my sophomore year of high school, uh, back in the day we had Sunday morning, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. It didn't matter if the Broncos were playing or not. My dad is a pastor. You had to go to church. And so the Broncos were playing in the Super Bowl against the Redskins and I begged him to stay home. He was like, nope. So I had my little transistor radio on the back row trying to, you know, get going in and out. But I, the Broncos started off 10-0, fastest touchdown in Super Bowl history, John Elway to Ricky Natil on the very first play of the game. And we're 10 to nothing when I go to church. When I come back from church, we have all these, the youth and everybody, a lot of people at our church just flooded our house. And we were down 35 to 10 because there was another Super Bowl record, five touchdowns in one quarter in the second quarter. I could not be found. My mom was looking for me, a little bit worried about me. 
when she found me, she found me bawling like a baby because <laughs> I'd been crying. And, and you may feel sorry for me. She did not feel sorry for me. She pulled me out of there. She told me to straighten up and get my act together that I was embarrassing the family at that moment. And this is just a stupid football game. So anyway, that was one thing. And then there was another time that in my, my dad went to all my football games. He wouldn't schedule weddings in the fall. Uh, he put family first. And, he, and there was a football game at William Jewell that uh, they drove a couple hours to see. And my, my sister, my dad came and we were, my freshman year, uh, at this point, we just lost again. We were one and six. And I was just kind of beside myself. So I waved at my mom and my dad and I just went straight to the, I mean, my sister and my dad, I went straight to the locker room. I got one of those letters that week, back when they wrote letters. And it basically said, uh, your dad loves you uh, your sister loves you. I don't care if they drive 30 minutes or four hours or whatever it is. I don't care if you lose 60 to nothing. You're not gonna do that again. And so I never did miss an opportunity, even the many games that we lost in college that you guys know about, to honor my dad and my parents um, for the great example they set for me. I'm gonna let you go. You've been embarrassed enough. He embellishes a little Yeah, just a little bit, so... <laughs> That, that being said, she's perfect segue, mom, is um, that there was also been many times that they watch every week. And afterwards, I always talked to my dad and uh, he was like, hey, you, you did pretty good there, but you got that story a little bit off. The details are a little bit off here. So I have him repeat and tell me the story. And he tells me the story. And when he's done, I was like, yeah, but my version's better. So um, <laughs> anyway, so I'm gonna, you've heard about my dad and you've heard this story before if you've been here very long at all, but I want the details to be correct today. My dad scored four touchdowns in a Nebraska football game. Pretty impressive, huh? I'll let him tell the rest of the story. It was a junior college game, but it was still four touchdowns. In the fall of 1958, my freshman year in college, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, we had lost six games and only won one. We'd lost one game. Runs in the family. We lost one game 39 to nothing. We were playing McCook. Somebody, like I said in the first service, it must have been a church board because it was a homecoming game. We hadn't beaten them in seven years. Anyway, they showed up. We had a uh, parade. One of the floats, uh, I'm not going to say, Helen, what it said. Anyway, uh, quite an interesting experience. We go into the game. Oh, we... Uh, to play at halftime, it was seven to seven. That can happen with the weaker team and the stronger team. A girl whose family I knew real well and liked the whole family, Emily Moyer, was crowned queen at halftime when it was seven to seven. We came back, much, much more to the story, but we upset them and beat them 26 to 14. And I had the privilege of scoring all four touchdowns. This is... I didn't say it in the first service. One of the touchdowns was only for one yard. <laughs> anyway, it was a great experience. In my book, I entitled that couple pages, 
never, never give up. Well, I'm almost 84, and who knows if I'll ever have another chance to be on the platform again. So, what was I going to say? That's it. That's it. No, this is what I want to say. My wife and I have had a blessed life. We have 15 people that are from our journey. That counts a couple, four in-laws, in fact. But interesting enough, 12, when Riley graduates this spring, 12 of us have graduated from a Nazarene University. <laughs> two, two are still in the Valley Decision. Siggy, Siegfried, who is three years old, and Colton Joy Brink, who is three months old. They haven't decided which college to go to. Before I hand the mic to them, though, four of them graduated from Mid-America Nazarene University. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. I, I honor my mom and dad today. I honor them because of the faith that they shared with me the emphasis on family and friends after that. The most important, um, I, I kind of talked about, uh, forgot to talk about this, bedtime stories. Uh, I told you about my daycare experience. My bedtime stories growing up was not Hansel and Gretel. It wasn't the story of the three little pigs. It wasn't the little nursery rhymes. The stories that I heard growing up, my bedtime stories were my dad's heroics in football, basketball, and track. And uh, I just found out yesterday he played one day of baseball. Um, it was in the ninth grade. And uh, he said, the reason I chose track was in the ninth grade, I saw the pitch, I saw the ball in the pitcher's hands. And that's the last time I saw it. And so he decided that baseball maybe wasn't for him and he did track. And so he would also tell you today, if he had more time, that he ran the mile in under four minutes. Pretty impressive when you look back there in 19, whatever that was. Um, what he would tell you next is he ran that over four weeks. He ran the 400 meter uh, in under a minute each of those times. You put those four together and that was, those are the stories that I grew up with. Um, but the greatest story of all was not the football stories, not the basketball, not the track, not the sports. The greatest stories that my parents passed on to me was stories of their faith. Their stories of their walk and their journey with Jesus. Like our journeys, not perfect, not without some bumps in the road, not with some out without some of their own sins and mistakes, but a journey nonetheless that was focused on a faith in Jesus Christ. And my dad wrote this book called The Gift of the Journey, a right turn on Main Street. It's, it's a world bestseller. It's sold 500 copies worldwide. Um, 490 of those copies were actually given uh, to others. And so my dad, if he ever catches this on eBay, he tries to buy them back because he regrets that he gave so many away. And so, um, but it, it talks about the gift of the journey. And the gift of the journey that they've passed on to me is the gift of their faith. And there are no spiritual grandchildren. We have to receive faith in Christ for ourselves. And that faith comes at different times. For my dad, his, his, his dad, my grandfather, that journey of faith began at age 72. It comes at all different ages and different times in our life. But it's important. I think the greatest gift that we can give someone is our journey of faith. And my mom and dad gave me that journey. And in that book, 
It talks about how my dad, when he was uh, 19 years old, after he'd scored those four touchdowns, the Scotts Bluff uh, coach was bringing in some studs. My dad saw the writing on the wall. He knew he was never going to touch that playing field again. Uh, for a guy that was all wrapped around around sports and his identity and playing football and doing those things, it was kind of a hard season in his life. And so he was going to quit junior college, go back and farm with his dad in, in western Nebraska. When on a Sunday night, as the title of this book says, on a Sunday night, uh, there was a little church in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska that had been having these special services all week. It was the last night. My dad didn't make any of them. But on this Sunday night, he was gonna go down to Main Street, take a left and join his friends and drag Main Street like they like to do in those days. But he felt this tug on his heart when he got to Main Street, instead of turning left and joining his friends to turn right and to take a right down to this little Scotts Bluff church. And the services were over, but a little lady that knew him said, Roy, wouldn't you like to follow Jesus tonight? And he walked into that church with her, services over, and he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And that forever changed not only his life, but it's changed our family's life. And he went on to uh, Southern Nazarene University, Bethany at the time, uh, went to prepare for the ministry in college and met my mom there at that time. Uh, and, and then they went into a, their first church right after college. They went into a little church in, in Southern Missouri, Potosi, Brosley, was it post-Potosi? Potosi, that a little town that they pastored in, in, in a couple years time as some kind of happens in our jobs or our professions we have our ups and our downs and they kind of you know, the church isn't perfect because it's made up of people and they got discouraged they got down they felt defeated and so they just said we're not going to do this anymore we're going to be teachers and I'm going to be a coach I'm going to be the best we're not leaving the church but we're just going to leave the ministry uh, the, the professional ministry and we're just going to be the best pastor supporters no church is going to have a better supporter than us in that church and that's what they did the next few years when on another Sunday night in that little church in Potosi, Missouri another special guest spoke and spoke a message that I'm going to preach today Isaiah chapter 6 which is a special story a special place in the, in the Bible uh, it, this is a special book but sometimes there's special stories and I didn't want to just share football stories today. I didn't want to just share stories about friends and family. I want to get the most important thing is our faith. And this story, this story taken from Isaiah chapter 6 was a turning point in my dad's life or in a family's life. And it's become special to my family and my sister and I and our, and our families. Chapter 6 of Isaiah chapter, verse 1 says in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord high and exalted seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple in the year that king uzziah died that message title that night um, because i know this story like the back of my hand the title of the message that night was your king must die taken from this verse verse and what I've noticed in my ministry of 25 plus years and growing up and even in my dad's ministry, what I've noticed is there's a common theme and story. It doesn't always happen this way. It didn't happen this way for me, but it's happened for many that people come to faith in Christ when they're, when they're kind of at the end. 
when they have nowhere to look but up. In fact, Jesus said these words in his first sermon in the Sermon on the Mount when he was teaching the Beatitudes and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And I love the message translation by Eugene Peterson that says, blessed are those who when they're at the end of their rope, they have nowhere else but to look up and see God. I love how the plain English of that reminds us of how many times people, they get to the end of their story, they feel like it's the end of their story, they feel like it's the end of their rope, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a broken relationship, a a called off engagement, a a breakup of a boyfriend or girlfriend, a, 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 a serious diagnosis, Whatever that place where life seems to be out of control. And I, I'm a person, I like control. I like to be in control. We all like to be in control if we're honest. But the reality is we are not in control as much as we think. Because life in this world is a broken world. It's a broken world of sin that started thousands of years ago. And, and today we live in that. And good things and bad things happen to everybody. And if you're looking for a life of comfort, you're gonna be sorely disappointed because life isn't comfortable no matter who we are. But it's important that we have a rock to lean on, a a rock to look up to. And I don't know what it is about people's story, but so often I've noticed that people, they can see God when they lose control, when the things that they prayed wouldn't happen or hoped wouldn't happen or didn't see happening actually happen. In the year that King Uzziah died, the writer of this uh, chapter who bears the name Isaiah, he's one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Much of the prophecies of the Messiah, the Christ uh, being fulfilled was by Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah is writing this and he's saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. There was a national tragedy. Their leader had died. They were now leaderless. But this wasn't just a national tragedy, this was a personal tragedy. Because Isaiah, this uh, Uzziah was his second cousin. Isaiah uh, and, and Uzziah and Isaiah were cousins, they were family. So it wasn't just the loss of a national leader, it was the loss of a family member. A family member had died and it's in this moment that he records these words, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I don't know what it is, but sometimes it's when we're at the end of our rope that we actually look up and we see God. And then it says in verse two, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah is describing the majesty and the awesome, the awesomeness of God and who God is. And there's not even adequate words to describe he's just trying to paint a picture it's with some things that we're not used to seeing in scripture some creatures that we're not used to seeing but in this vision he is seeing the majesty of who God is and how awesome he is and how wonderful he is I wrote in my in my side notes there that God is awesome 
and he's way beyond what we're able to describe or imagine, but sometimes we don't see that until we're at a baseline zero and we have nowhere to look but up that we get the opportunity to open up and really see who God is. And once we see God and once Isaiah saw God, he said, woe is me. For I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He first gets a clear picture of who God is. He sees God clearly. And when we get a clear picture of who God is, it's then and only then that we can see ourselves clearly. Not see others clearly. When we get a clear picture of who God is, we don't see the sins of other people we don't see where they fall short we don't see their their brokenness and where they're messed up when we get a clear picture of God we see our sin we see our brokenness we see our need for a savior not other people's needs for a savior we see our need for a savior and Isaiah got a clear picture of who God was and that allowed him to get a clear picture of who he was and he's like uh, and compared to an awesome holy God I'm sunk because I do not measure up as it says in the New Testament all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God none of us can match the glory of God but praise God, we have a God who loves us. And when he acknowledged who he was, when he got honest about who he was, verse six happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. First, He's at the end of his rope. Then he gets a clear picture of God that allows him to get a clear picture of himself and who he is, which allows him to repent and look to God for his saving grace, for his salvation, which allows God then to do his best work, allows him to touch him and bring healing to his life, spiritual healing. The, the tongs on the altar is a, and the fire is a representation. It's an image of the Holy Spirit. It's an image of the purification that God does in our life when he comes in and touches us and forgives us of our sins. And not only... Uh, but not only uh, suppresses our guilt or diminishes our guilt, but actually takes away our guilt. You see, the way that we all deal with guilt, the way that we handle guilt on our own humanness and our own human terms is we try to suppress it. We try to ignore it. We try to wish it away. We try to rationalize it and compare ourselves to maybe other people and say, well, I'm not, at least I'm not as bad at them. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a... I may be a Bronco, but at least I'm not a chief, you know. That's what we may say. Same result in first service. Or Broncos and Chiefs fans together may say, hey, we may be Broncos and Chiefs fans, but at least we're not Raider fans. I mean, that's the devil's team, right? I mean, we can all agree on that one. Apologize to my Raiders fans out here today. But seriously, we can easily compare ourselves to other people. And we can say, well, at least I don't do what they do. At least I'm not as bad as they are. At least my sins aren't quite like their sins. Our sins are sins. God does not see a difference in sin. It's all the same. And just because my sins look different than your sins doesn't mean God sees it any differently. 
We're in need of a savior and we can suppress it. We can rationalize it. We can try to uh, wish it away. We can try to not acknowledge it. But the only one that can take away our sins is Jesus Christ. The only one that can forgive and take away our sins is Christ. And the only one who can atone for our sins is Jesus Christ. And to atone for our sin means that we are made in right standing with God. That God not only forgives and takes away our sin, he puts us back in right relationship with him. He does it by his grace and his mercy. Not anything that we could do, not anything that we could boast about, not anything that we could earn or anything that we could deserve. It's simply trusting in Jesus Christ and his salvation to forgive us, to take away our sins, to purify us, not make us perfect, but give us a, a heart that seeks after him. That is the good news of the gospel and in the story and when we receive that good news when we see a clear picture of who we are when we acknowledge who we are when we get a clear picture of God when we repent and allow God to come in and touch us through his son Jesus Christ then God has a mission for us and he has a purpose for us I'm sorry and it says this this is the purpose then I heard a voice of the Lord saying this is Isaiah saying this whom shall I send and who will go for us and I am and I said here I am send me God has a purpose and a mission and a vision for every one of our lives and I'm thankful for our parents that told me the vision and the purpose that God gave them when they saw a clear picture of who they were they saw a clear picture of who God was. They acknowledged they needed a savior. God came in and touched their lives, but he just, just touched us and forgives us. But then he sends us out for a purpose and, and gives us a great vision to serve our, our, our lives, to serve for others so that we, we were once the one that people were praying for. We were once that one. And now God's called us to be that one. Who will go for us? That's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity right there saying, who will go for us? And Isaiah was able to answer that call. Here I am, send me. My parents and their story, when they heard that message, your king must die on that Sunday night, it left them wrestling. In fact, they went home that night and my mom and dad, they'd been teaching school for a couple years and they went home that night and they just they got down together and they began to just pray and seek God and ask for his help. They were wrestling with God. They were wrestling with, and, and if, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you're gonna wrestle. You're gonna wrestle with that. There's gonna be some things that maybe might get in the way that is gonna have to die. For them, what had to die was their comfort. They just wanted a comfortable, good life. And they wanted to love God and serve God, but they didn't wanna they didn't want to do it as a part of the ministry. And there's no better call or higher call to someone who's called to a pastor or ministry. I, my wife is a teacher, and I believe my in-laws are teachers. I believe teachers are every bit as called. I believe the professions that you're called into, that God has a purpose and a plan, and there's every bit of a calling on your life as there is someone else. But it wasn't my parents' calling. And they were kind of running from that calling, and they wrestled with God that night, but they came to a place that they surrendered and said, wherever you want us, in fact, the next place you give us, at the end of this school year, we're gonna be done, and wherever, if you give us whatever opportunity you lay before us, we're gonna give you our call and our ministry. That next morning, 
Monday morning, my dad was dropping my mom off at her school and the head football coach at that high school jumped into the passenger side of the car and he said, Roy, hey, I want you to be my head freshman football coach next year. Just three years prior to that, he had been the head freshman football coach. It had been a dream job to head that direction for my dad, but my dad said it was so easy because I had settled the question. Your mother and I had settled the question the night before, whatever the case was, and I told him, I said, hey, thank you for the honor of this, but at the end of this school year, we are gonna take the first opportunity if we're given one to, to, to pastor in a church. Just because you accept the call doesn't mean the call's easy. And God gave them a call, and it wasn't like it was a church of 100 or 200. It was like a church of 15, 20 people. But God, what God calls us to, he will equip us for because God has a purpose and a plan. I'm so thankful that they followed that call on their life and that purpose they had for them. And, and, they, they, and you'll see in Isaiah chapter six, I don't have time to share the rest of the story today, but if you read from verse nine on to like 13, it's not an easy call. It's not go pastor a mega church, go lead a, uh, uh, it, it, not lead this great group of people and you're gonna be triumphant. He said, no, you're gonna whittle this thing down to where there's just a stump until there's just a remnant and then I'm gonna build this thing all back up. But this is your task. It's not to build something big, it's to build something small so I can get the glory when I build it back up. Just because God calls doesn't mean it's gonna be uh, this uh, pie in the sky, everything goes well. But I can tell you that when we receive God's call, accept his call, he is faithful to feel, fulfill that call in you. So my, my question as we close out on this Super Bowl Sunday today is this, what needs to die for you? What king needs to die for you? Maybe it's a king of pride. Maybe it's a king of unbelief and doubt. Maybe it's a king of bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment that's keeping, keeping you stuck. God doesn't want you to stay there. Maybe it's a, a king of giving up control and saying, God, I, I'm, I'm gonna submit myself to you and your will and your plan, your vision for my life. All I can say is the greatest call, the greatest life you'll ever live is when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. When you, no matter what the age, you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna trust you, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put my life in your hands and I'm gonna surrender to your will. It's the greatest call of your life to put God first. On this Super Bowl Sunday, I hope your team wins. You don't know what team I'm talking about, but I got 49er fans, I got Chiefs fans in here, so I hope your team wins. But even if they don't, the greatest victory that you can have, I said at the beginning, is this, to have victory with Jesus Christ. To know him as your Lord and Savior, to put your faith and your trust in him so you can live your best life in peace, in joy, in love. Do you stand with me this morning? You guys are awesome. You're a great church. You're a fun church. You're fun to harass. You're fun to give a hard time. You have a lot of fun with me as well. It, it's fun. I, I love you guys. And I just want you to know God loves you this morning. And God's greatest victory is not one on the field, but it's one in your heart. And we're gonna give you that opportunity this morning. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, we're gonna close in prayer this morning. 
Today, you can walk out of here in victory with the peace and joy and the hope and the love that God meant for you to have in his son, Jesus Christ. I don't embarrass anyone. I don't call you out. With your head bowed and your eyes closed this morning, we're gonna pray a simple prayer in a moment. If you wanna pray that together with all of us by faith, you wanna make that decision, you just raise your hand. Be bold, just raise your hand. Raise it high this morning. Thank you, thank you others. Just raise out, yep, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Our kids are coming in because we're getting ready to celebrate baptism. But before we do, and I'm glad our kids made it in here because they do this like nobody else. They do it like they believe it. We're gonna pray a prayer. You can open your eyes. We're gonna pray this prayer before we celebrate baptism today. One of the great things that we do as a church is celebrate. And can I just say, if we can throw our hands up and celebrate the Chiefs for our team. If we can get excited about our team, let me just tell you what we're getting ready to celebrate matters way more than that. So we celebrate as a church, those who are getting baptized, we're gonna do that in a moment. But I wanna give us a chance to celebrate you and those who raised their hand today. We're gonna pray this prayer together. You just repeat after me as a confirmation of your faith. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world that he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who raised their hand today?